Uh, what do you think? Yeah. Don't get used to it. So in a past generation, there was a, a radio personality named Paul Harvey. And he would tell these stories that always had a punchline at the end. So he would always conclude his story with this phrase, and now you know what? And now you know the rest of the story. So last week, we were studying in Luke chapter 18. And that's the account where the rich young man came to Jesus. And he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, keep the Ten Commandments. And the rich man said, I've done that my whole life. Jesus said, really? He said, all right then. Sell all your possessions. Give the money to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. And then come follow me. And that young man went away sad because he was very rich. He turned Jesus down. He did not consider that worth it. It wasn't worth it. But that's not the rest of the story. That's not the end of the story. After he left, Jesus had a little debriefing with his disciples. And they talked about what had happened and why the journey is worthwhile. Our message today is worthwhile journey. Now, if you are new to us, I know we have some first-time guests here today. I met Steve and Jack and Brittany. Uh, we are in a sermon series entitled The Journey. We're journeying through the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke from his birth to his death to his resurrection. We'll wrap it up on Easter Sunday, presumably. And so we've seen so far that this is a glorious journey. It's a tempting journey. It's a strong journey. It's a testing journey. But today the theme is worthwhile. I want us to see how the journey with Jesus is worthwhile in at least four ways. And the first one is worthwhile opportunity. Worthwhile opportunity. We're picking up Luke chapter 18, verse 24. When Jesus saw this, the this is the rich man who walked away sad. He said how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard this said, then who in the world can be saved? So the idea here is equal opportunity in the kingdom of God. It's a meritocracy is one way of looking at it. It's an egalitarian kingdom. I mean, everybody's equal. All men are created equal. So we are all equal, and there's equal access to the kingdom, which kind of shocked the disciples. That was countercultural to everything they'd experienced up until that time, what they had experienced. Maybe it's not that way today, but back then, if you had money, that kind of greased the wheels a little bit. You had a bit of an advantage if you had money. Politically speaking, in the courts, you could bribe the judges and they were willing to accept it. You could get a favorable disposition in the courts. Even their experience with religion was tainted by the rich. You know who the high priest was during the days of Jesus and the 12 disciples? His name was Caiaphas. Caiaphas was the, high, the Jewish high priest. He was the son-in-law of Annas. Annas had been the high priest before him. He's kind of a high priest emeritus, even at that time. And do you know how they got to be high priest? They bought the office. Now, for centuries, you had to be descended from Aaron in order to be the Jewish high priest. But by this time, the, Roman, the time of the Romans, you had to have money, power, and influence. So even in the religious world that they were used to, the lightning lane could be bought with money. But Jesus said, no, 
In my kingdom, being rich is not advantageous. In a way, it's a little bit disadvantageous. So it's equal opportunity. In fact, James writes, James 2, hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom? He promised to those who love him. Isn't it the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? Might be Jesus' kingdom is the only kingdom in history where it is harder for the rich than it is for the poor. Now, I call it a meritocracy. I'm going to compare it to the United States Army. I, I was reading the life story of Roy Benavidez. And Roy Benavidez, he was born in Cuervo, Texas. Mexican father, Native American mother. They were born in poverty, and both of his parents died of tuberculosis before he was five years old. He was adopted by his grandfather and his aunt and his uncle, uncle, who raised him along with eight cousins. And that actually turned out to be a huge turning point in Roy's life because this was a devout, religious Christian family. They went to church three times a week. They prayed constantly, read the scriptures. They imbued him with the values of Christian faith. And he said it is his faith that carried him through his poverty, his challenges, his trials. He went on. The second turning point in his life was when he joined the army at the age of 17. And he worked hard. He sacrificed. He was assigned to the 81st Airborne. And eventually he won the Congressional Medal of Honor for deeds of valor performed in Vietnam above and beyond the call of duty. So at that time, and I guess it's still the same today in the army, but it's a meritocracy. It doesn't matter if you come in poor, rich, somewhere in between, the opportunity is there in the kingdom of God. Jesus doesn't tell us not to be great in the kingdom. He tells us how to be great in the kingdom, to love, to serve, to be humble, to sacrifice, have courage and faith, opportunity. So I think that's number one, a worthwhile journey, worthwhile opportunity. Secondly, worthwhile possibility. Those who heard this said, then who in the world can be saved? And he replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Now I get the sense here, the sense of what's happening is that Jesus is turning things upside down a little bit because material blessings and prosperity come from God. All good gifts come from God. The reasoning seemed to be that those who were wealthy, those who were prosperous, those who were rich were especially blessed by God, maybe especially close to God and righteous. So the idea was the rich are the best and the brightest that we have, and if, if they can't enter the kingdom of heaven, then who can? Who in the world then can be saved? And Jesus says, well, with man this is impossible but with God, all things are possible. It's possible with God. Because we're going on the journey, not alone, but with someone, because we're going with God, then salvation becomes possible. All things become possible. Hey, I, if a lot of you read the one-year Bible for your personal devotions like I do, and I encourage that. If I could give a gift to every single Christian, I, I would, it would be the one-year Bible and to be reading the one-year Bible. But anyhow, if you are, then you know this past week we've been reading in the Old Testament there how the Israelites were delivered from Egyptian slavery and bondage, the plagues, and Moses, and Moses leads the Israelites out of Egypt. But then Pharaoh changed his mind again and decides to chase them down. He sends hundreds of chariots after them, and they're 
Here the Israelites are backed up against the Red Sea, and they're going to get run over by the chariots. And it seemed like an impossible situation. But God knew that there was a road right underneath the Red Sea. Only God knew that. And he caused the wind to blow, and the, the sea parted, and the Israelites walked across on dry land. Of course, the army of Pharaoh chased them right down into that Red Sea. And as soon as the Israelites got out on the other side, God caused the walls of water to close in upon the Egyptian army. He delivered them. He saved them. What is impossible with man is possible with God. We see it with Moses and the Israelites. We see it with Joshua and the walls of Jericho. We see it with David and Goliath over and over and over again in the Bible. One of the songs that we sing has these lyrics. Remember those walls that we called sin and shame? They were like prisons that we couldn't escape. But Jesus came and died and he rose and those walls are rubble now. Remember those giants we called death and the grave? They were like mountains that stood in our way, but he came, died, and rose, and those giants are dead now. This is our God. This is who he is. He loves us. This is our God. This is what he does. He saves us. He bore the cross, beat the grave, let heaven and earth proclaim, this is our God, King Jesus. When Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, this is impossible with man, but it's possible with God. Of course, he was talking about salvation, and he was talking about himself, himself. That's why he came. He was their salvation. Just a few sentences later, he says this. Listen, we're going up to Jerusalem where all the predictions of the prophets concerning the Son of Man will come true. He will be handed over to the Romans. He will be mocked, treated shamefully, and spit upon. They will flog him with a whip and kill him. But on the third day, he will rise again. We don't go on this journey alone. We go with Jesus. It, Jesus wants to save us worse than most of us want to be saved. And this is what he does. This is why he died. And this is why he lives to make the impossible possible, our salvation. It's worthwhile. A worthwhile opportunity, worthwhile possibility. I got four today. Here's the third one. Worthwhile ROI, return on investment. Peter said, we've left our homes to follow you. Jesus replied, yes, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will be repaid many times over in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come. Now, this, this, this offer that the rich man had declined because he didn't feel like it was worth it to follow Jesus, that's the offer the disciples had accepted. They left everything to follow Jesus. They left behind the family business. They left behind the fishing business. They, Matthew left behind, left behind the tax collector business there. They, they left behind spouses in some cases and family to go and follow Jesus for a few years. And Peter says, Peter simply says, we left everything to follow you. But the implied question is, is it worth it? Is it going to be worth it? Is there going to be a return on that investment? And Jesus reassures them, he says, oh yeah, it's going to be worth it. There's going to be a return. 
Anyone who says has left a home, a house, you're going to have houses. Anyone who's have to leave a family member, you're going to have a larger family in this life. Now, the only thing that I can think of here, the, the only fulfillment of that, in my mind, must be the church. He must be talking about the church. He is talking about this life. And sometimes when people make a decision to follow Jesus, that means instant estrangement from some members of their family who do not want them to make that decision. Uh, there have been some people that because they follow Jesus, they are now going to have to live at a lower standard of living than they would have lived at otherwise. There are those, depending on the time and the place who followed Jesus, their lifespan here on earth is going to be shortened because they're following Jesus. And Jesus says, whatever you sacrifice, look, you're going to get family, fathers, mothers, sisters, brothers, sons, daughters. Look around here. That's the church. This is our spiritual family. Brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers. We've got some spiritual grandpas and grandmas in here. And some great grandpas and great grandmas. Spiritual family. If you, if you become homeless and you're a part of the church, no problem. You'll have a home. Just get with Scott and Peggy Blount. Boy, they'll hook you right up. I think they got three families living in their house right now. But truly, what a great reward and a blessing the church is. If I was following Jesus and not in a church, when I say in a church, I mean all in. I'm in a life group. I'm in a Bible study. I am serving in a ministry. My treasure is in the church. I'm there whenever the doors are open. I am all in the church. If I'm following Jesus and not in a church, I am missing out on 95% of the reward that comes to a Christian in this life. That's what I believe. I also believe most of the reward for following Jesus is not in this life. It's in the next life. But of that reward that is, it's mostly coming through the church. So Jesus says that, first of all, and then secondly, he says eternal life. Eternal life. Now that's a gift. That's not something we earn. That's not through our sacrifice. It's not through our work. Not through our service, that's a gift. Like any guest who's at Vera Christian Church today, we've got a gift bag for you because you're here. We're going to give you a gift. And when the person follows Jesus, he gives the gift of eternal life. That's two pretty, two pretty big returns, an eternal church and eternal life. Years ago, a man named Tom Bodette was a contributor to NPR Radio. Uh, every once in a while, he's on a show called All Things Considered. Well, there was an executive at Motel 6 that heard him, his radio voice, and thought to himself, that voice sounds like the voice of someone who would spend the night at Motel 6. So they hired him to be their spokesperson. So for 35 years, Tom Bodette was the spokesperson for Motel 6. And they had a great tagline. At the end of each one of his commercials, he said, this is Tom Bodette for Motel 6, and we'll do what? That's right. We'll leave the light on for you. What a great tagline for a motel. It's a great tagline for a church as well. I want to say, if you've been following Jesus but do not have a church family, something like I've just described, a close, loving, spiritual family and would like one, we'll leave the light on for you. If you're a follower of Jesus and you used to be in a church, but maybe you're not now, maybe you became disillusioned or discouraged, and 
something happened and fell away, but now you're thinking, maybe I want to come back to a church. We'll leave the lot on for you. And also, if you're in that demographic where you're getting toward the end of your journey here on earth, a lot closer to the other side than we are to this side, to passing on, God has a church in heaven, and he has the light on for you, the lights on. It's a worthwhile journey, return on investment. But there's one more, worthwhile sacrifice, worthwhile sacrifices. Again, we've left our homes to follow you. There will be sacrifices on this journey. There are always sacrifices to follow Jesus. Most of us are experiencing some kind of sacrifice that we're making for the Lord right now. Does that detract from the journey of following the Lord? I say no. I say it's a big part of what makes following Jesus worthwhile. Have you ever noticed how we are attracted to stories of heroism and sacrifice? The Lord of the Rings, for instance, one of the greatest stories of literature by J.R.R. Tolkien and made into a movie and TV series and all of that. It's the story of a journey in the Fellowship of the Ring and it's good versus evil and the heroes make tremendous sacrifices on this long journey. People love that story. We identify with those Hebrews, uh, with those those heroes rather. Or also, I just finished watching, again, uh, the television series Band of Brothers about the 101st Airborne is dropped into Normandy, and they go, they go from Normandy all the way, all the way through that part of the war and that theater to Germany. And it's based on a true story, service and sacrifice, lives lost, freezing, hunger. We're attracted to that, that heroism. Deep down inside, we all seem to want to give ourselves in sacrifice to something and someone that is worthy. And that's our Lord and his kingdom. I mentioned earlier Roy Benavidez and how he won the Congressional Medal of Honor. I want to finish up this morning by reading the citation. The award ceremony was in 1981. The award was presented to him by President Ronald Reagan. And I'd love to just show you the video clip of Ronald Reagan reading off the citation, but it's long, and so I've edited it down. So I'll be Ronald Reagan today. But uh, please bear with me as I I read this for you. Roy Benavidez. I'm just going to refer to him as Roy throughout this. It's easier. May 2nd, 1968, a 12-man Special Forces recon team in a dense jungle area west of Lac Ninh, Vietnam, met heavy enemy resistance and requested emergency extraction. Three helicopters attempted extraction but were unable to land due to intense enemy small arms anti-aircraft fire. Sergeant Roy was at the forward operating base in Loch Ninh monitoring the operation by radio while attending a church service. Armed only with a knife, he voluntarily boarded a return aircraft to assist in another extraction attempt, praying for God's protection. Realizing that all the team members were either dead or wounded and unable to move to the pickup zone, he directed the aircraft to a nearby clearing where he jumped from the hovering helicopter and ran 75 yards under fire to the crippled team. 
reaching the team's position, he was wounded in his right leg, face, and head. He took charge, repositioning the team members and directing their fire to facilitate the landing of an extraction aircraft and loading the loading of wounded and dead team members. He carried and dragged half the wounded team members to the awaiting aircraft. He hurried to recover the body and classified documents from the dead team leader. When he reached the body, Sergeant Roy was severely wounded in the abdomen and back from grenade fragments. Nearly the same moment, the aircraft pilot was mortally wounded and his helicopter crashed. Sergeant Roy secured the classified documents and returned to the wreckage where he aided the wounded out of the overturned aircraft, gathered the stunned survivors into a defensive perimeter, and moved around the perimeter distributing water and ammo to the weary men. Facing a buildup of enemy opposition, Sergeant Roy began calling in tactical airstrikes and directing the fire from supporting gunships to suppress the enemy and so permit another extraction attempt. He was wounded again in his thigh just before another helicopter was able to land. He began carrying his comrades to the craft. On his second trip with the wounded, he was clubbed from behind by an enemy soldier. In the ensuing hand-to-hand -hand combat, he sustained additional wounds to his head and arms before killing his adversary. Upon reaching the aircraft, he spotted and killed two enemy soldiers who were rushing the craft from an angle that prevented the door gunner from firing upon them. Only then, weakened from loss of blood, did he allow himself to be pulled into the extraction aircraft. Sergeant Roy's gallant choice to expose himself constantly to withering enemy fire and his refusal to be stopped despite numerous severe wounds saved the lives of at least eight men. For service above and beyond the call of duty, he was awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor. I mean, I, I almost have PTSD just reading about that. It's like a superhero, as are so many who have served in the military. What I would like to ask Sergeant Benevito is, was it worth it? Was all of that worth it? Would you do that again? And I'm going to let him answer that. In just the very, the very end of his acceptance speech. You should watch the whole thing on YouTube. It's inspiring. But here we go. Let's roll that. I'm asked hundreds of times, would you do it over again? In my 25 years in the military, I feel like I've been overpaid for the service to my country. There'll never be enough paper to print the money, nor enough gold in Fort Knox for me to have to keep from doing what I did. I'm proud of being American, and even prouder. And I'm even prouder that I've earned the privilege to wear the Green Beret. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4.17, For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Would you bow with me in prayer? Our Father in heaven, 
We go on this journey and it is worth it. Whatever you call us to sacrifice, we give willingly. For you are worth it. And we reflect this morning, we think about the fact that at least to you and to Jesus, we are worth it. We are worth the sacrifice that he made for us on the cross. So yes, we follow Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.